0: I'm Laura London, and this is a special quarantine edition of Speaking of Jung. Everything Jung wrote was based on an experience. Jungian psychology isn't about ideas, it's about experiences. This quarantine series is based on my personal experiences with interesting people. Joining us for the 17th episode in this series is experiencer Ryan Bledsoe and Jennifer Mabes in Wilmington, North Carolina. I expect we'll have a lot of new listeners this week, so I'd like to introduce you to Speaking of Jung. It's a podcast that has been around for close to six years, and this is the 102nd episode. The interviews are usually with Jungian analysts, but when the lockdown began last year, I stopped traveling and decided to spend my extra time at home recording episodes about my personal interests. I've been alternating each week between interviews with Jungian analysts and the special quarantine series. All of the episodes are available to stream or to download for free from the website speakingofyong.com. This is not a YouTube show, although I have started to upload all of the episodes to my YouTube channel, Jungian and Laura, but I'd prefer you access them via the website, which has become a very rich resource on Jung and Jungian analysts. The episodes are also available on all of the major podcasting platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. So with that out of the way, are you ready, Ryan and Jennifer? Yes, ma'am. Yep. This episode is being recorded on Wednesday, April 28th, 2021, through the magic of Skype. Thank you both for taking the time to join us this evening. Ryan and Jennifer, hi.
1: Hi. Hi.
0: Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. So originally, I had invited Ryan on. And then today, I had the idea to invite Jennifer too. So this is sort of a last minute add in. And I'm really, really honored and happy that Jennifer agreed to join us today. So where are you two at right now? You're engaged, right?
2: Yes, that's correct.
0: And you'll be um, getting married later this year. So you're both in Wilmington and your father, Christopher Bledsoe, who is sort of the main focus of what we're going to talk about here today. He lives nearby, right?
2: Yeah, he lives about an hour and a half, two hours from us. Um, We kind of moved out on our own little um, life together to the beach
0: So for the listeners who are not at all familiar with your story, Ryan, I will provide links in the show notes to the other recent episodes you've done. You were on Fade to Black with Jimmy Church in January, and you were on That UFO Podcast recently, and also on Tinfoil Hat, and they are excellent interviews with you. And I'll provide, uh, as I said, links to them in the show notes on this episode page so for the listeners who are not familiar with who you are would you tell us briefly um so that we can sort of set the scene for the rest of what we're going to talk about
2: sure so um since i was 13 years old uh basically my family has had these crazy um experiences with this phenomenon that is um I guess you could say, out of this world. And since I was probably 14 or 15, we've had various elements of like the Department of Defense uh, making round robin on our property and kind of checking things out. And uh, it's been a very interesting life.
0: So when you say experiences, crazy experiences, what exactly do you mean?
2: What I mean is basically like, I don't like to say the word alien that mm-hmm. puts an association in people's head that makes them think of like, you know, flesh and blood monsters from other planets. It, it wasn't like that in our experience. Right. These things were more, um, etheric, you know what I mean? Like yes. spiritual, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. So your father had an experience back in 2007 yes. that he didn't understand and it was, uh, kind of life shattering for him. And there is a very long story that goes along with it. And again, I'll provide links to the interviews that uh, Ryan's father, Chris has done that you can refer to. But I've asked you here to do this episode with me so that you can talk about your story, your side of it. And so just briefly, so that people can understand where, where we're going, would you tell us in the, just, just sort of briefly what your father experienced that, that sort of set the scene for the rest of your lives, really?
2: Sure. So it was actually my father and my oldest brother. Uh, this was January... Um, I think it was January 8th of 2007. I always get that confused if it was the 7th or the 8th.
0: Okay. Um,
2: but, you know, many years ago and they were out in the Cape Fear River, which is in North Carolina. It's this very long river that spans almost the entire state. And um, they're fishing out in the woods in this really um, secluded area where you couldn't even see it from the road. You had to drive down this little muddy trail. And... What happened was my dad walked up the trail by himself, got to the top of the trail where the road meets the um, pathway to the river. and he when he got to the top of the trail, he saw these two large uh, orange balls of light. they 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 kind of look like fire, like this like the setting sun, but they were high in the sky. He saw two of them, and then a third one shot up right beside the the other two. It freaked him out, and he ran back down the trail. And by this point, so he walked up at twilight. And when he did the, just for frame of reference, it's about ten to fifteen minute walk along this trail. Um, when he walked back, at this point, it was late at night, like eleven p.m. And everyone's freaking out. He had three other guys with him, and then also my my brother. So there were five total. And they're all like, "Where have you been? It's been many hours. We, you know we've been looking for you." come to find out later through the official investigation, he had about four hours missing time. So from his perspective, when he walked to the top and he saw the balls of fire and he freaks out and he runs in his head, that was all about 30 minutes. But in reality, it was probably four hours. Um, My brother in between the, you know, my dad walking up the trail and then returning my brother saw these two red orbs walking through the, or I should say, bobbing through the woods. They kind of appeared to be floating, and as they got closer, they had these little bodies that were three to four feet tall. Um, and they approached my brother, and my brother couldn't move for two hours, and how, he sat how there. How
0: old was he at the time?
2: He was seventeen. Okay. And it traumatized him, um, and he sat there in terror for two hours as he watched them. He couldn't do anything. And then that basically was the crux of um, at the river. And, you know, they, they saw some other things, like they saw things shoot around the sky. Um, I, I know you said brief, so I'm, I'm That's glossing okay. over okay. Take here. your time. Okay. So they see kind of like the stars in the sky rearrange, and one of them looks up and says, look, and then like eight white balls of light shoot down to the other side of the river, and they kind of just hover there. But, but but these aren't like spinning disks. They're balls of light. Right. They're giant balls of light. And next thing you know, they're rushing home. They only took one truck that night. All five of them crammed into my dad's truck, and he gets them all home. They're thinking it's like an invasion. They're thinking it's the end of the world. I'm talking high chaos. Mm-hmm. And when my dad gets home that night, he sees... One of those same entities that my brother saw in the woods, he saw it in our backyard. And it had a triangle on its chest. It was translucent. It looked like like it was wearing glass of some sort. And um it, it it glowed kinda like the moon. And that that was it. That was the end of that night. And he sat on that story for ten months. He didn't go public with it because there was so much chaos in our in our home and in our family and all of his friends. And finally Um, October remember the initial thing happened in January so Mm -hmm. finally in October he submitted the report to MUFON and then they basically swarmed us and within a year we had a documentary aired to the public Um, and the conclusion of that was um, they they basically smeared us and painted my father to look dishonest
0: yes they did I saw that documentary it aired on I believe the Discovery Channel, but it is available on Amazon Prime. And I watched that and was actually horrified by their treatment of you. I was never a fan of MUFON, but I mean, when you have an experience like this, that's and, and you are not connected with anybody in the UFO community, I mean, that's who you call, you call mm-hmm. MUFON. And w- why do you think they had the reaction that they did? Um, as far as how they treated your family.
2: Well, my honest opinion and belief, and, and I'm not trying to be negative or disparage anybody here, but my honest belief, based on the life that I've lived and who I've met, uh, is that they were trying to smear us so that people wouldn't believe it. Right. It, it was a concerted effort. Um. It, it later turned out that the guy, James Carrion, who was inserted as the director of MUFON... Um, was a low-level CIA guy. He, he could have been high-level. I don't know. It was insinuated to me he was just like, you know, some regular dude doing his job to kind of s- spread the disinformation. But that that's what was communicated to me by other folks in the CIA um, who were a lot nicer over mm-hmm. time.
0: MUFON, for the listeners who are not familiar, their job is to investigate these anomalous sightings. It wasn't just a light in the sky that your father saw, but it was actually, uh, he had an encounter and your brother had an encounter with something. And that doesn't happen every day, does it?
2: No, absolutely not. And if you look at their original reports, which I recently had stumbled onto um, a copy buried somewhere in the internet, they, they said it right there in their report. They concluded that they believe we had a, I think it was a CE4 just okay. like Close Encounter of the Fourth Kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they told us how much they believed us and all of this. And then when the documentary came out, it, it, it they basically um, swept my dad into this room without telling him what was happening and put cameras and lights in his face. And there was an FBI guy there. And then he uh, psychically drove my father to get an inconclusive answer on the, on the um, lie detector test. Now, what psychic driving means is basically you're manipulating someone to produce a certain result. You know, it doesn't mean like psychic powers. And what happened was the guy was asking my father the same 30 questions over 4 hours until he got an inconclusive result and then they showed the inconclusive result to the world.
0: Yeah, they did. And the interesting part of that is I did an episode with a Jungian analyst at the University of Zurich in Switzerland, specifically because I knew that you were going to be coming on this show. And I wanted her to talk about polygraph tests and how unreliable they are. And she pretty much laughed it off. She called polygraph tests she said they're looked at as, as like they're a children's toy. They're not oh. admissible in court. And it was Jung's research. It was Jung's work on what he called the word association experiment that led to the development of the modern day lie detector test, polygraph test. And they're they're absurd. They're not reliable. And that episode that we're talking about, that, that Discovery Channel show, made it seem like it was the final word on your dad's story. The beginning of the show was great because they filmed your father on his property. So he got to point to the river and the, the places in the woods where he saw things. And so you got a great visual on what his experience was. But then they brought in some I don't know if he was a hypnotherapist did he did a regression I mean he was they said he was from Harvard I I don't know it was did you have a positive experience with him
2: Yes okay. um he he was more or less a third party he was very pleasant and you actually might not know this about me but it it was because of him and this experience that I went on to get my bachelor's degree in psychology with a concentration in clinical counseling oh, I know.
0: Were going to say that because I, I had seen that you were a psychology major oh that's wonderful
2: right, right. it was okay. because of that experience yeah
0: okay okay so that was a positive experience I'm glad to hear that and so yeah they did show snippets of your father's regression to uh, take him back to that night to find out what happened and then though with the polygraph test they brought in some uh psychiatric social workers. the just like carrying a backpack, and she looked like she had no credibility whatsoever. So, I knew things were not going to go well once that happened. And that was all at the end of this episode. So, the lead up, I thought was pretty great, and all the footage, um, the interviews with your dad, and and showing the property, and then they end it with he failed this polygraph test, and it made me furious, honestly. And so I, I pr- pursued it further um, by wanting to have you on and do that episode with Dr. Graf Nold. If anybody wants to listen to that, uh, it was recorded on March 2nd of this year, and it is episode 81. So where do we go from here? After that aired, and it was it 2008? It aired on, uh, aired on television, on cable television.
2: Yes, I believe, I believe it aired in 2008. Uh, it's really hard for me to, I mean, I was a child, so mm-hmm. it's hard to, it's hard to keep the date straight, but it, I want to say it was 2008, November or October.
0: And people saw it, your friends, your family, and. Well,
2: millions of people saw million, it. Yeah.
0: and Right. And, and so what was the fallout from that?
2: It was horrible. Um, we were mocked and ridiculed and we were basically the laughing stock of the town uh, for a while. I, I think the town has uh, not necessarily forgotten it, but we, we don't really hear much about that anymore. Uh, the internet is a lot more prevalent now anyway, so we, we, we pretty much take you know to the internet. but um, there's a funny story, but my fiance Jenny, she could probably tell you some of her experiences just hearing us talked about around town when she moved there.
3: Yeah, um, I was actually thinking about that. Um, so one of my experiences, and this is after I had already been dating Ryan, is I worked at a local pharmacy and I was filing um, some prescriptions and all of a sudden this this guy comes in. And again, it's a small local pharmacy, so everybody kind of knows each Mm -hmm. other. And he comes in and he talks to the pharmacist and he goes, oh my gosh, I think I saw something in the sky last night. And the pharmacist was laughing like, what are you talking about? Um, and he says I think I saw a UFO in the sky. Um I don't and I couldn't quite tell if it was a you know a laughing matter or if it was right. more serious, but and then my pharmacist goes, "Oh no, this isn't going to be one of those blood so things, is it?" Mm. And I was like, "Oh my goodness." And and he has no idea who I'm with. <laughs> right, right. So I was just like, oh gosh, and I, I never brought it up again, but it definitely was one of those examples of like, wow, like I had been hearing for years that people around the town would talk about the blood sows, but I had never encountered something, you know, in first person.
0: So were you living in the same town as Ryan when the incident happened?
3: No. So actually I had moved to North Carolina in 2009, And I just, cause I'm, you know, my dad was in the military and I moved, um, like I said, 2009 Mm -hmm. and I had gone to school with Ryan's little sister, Emily. We're in the same grade. So I had been going to school with her for a few years. We were, you know, pretty good friends, kind of like say hi in the hallway type thing. And it wasn't until the 10th grade when I was hanging out with another, a, a separate friend and he tells me, "Hey, do you know Emily Bledsoe?" And I said, "Yes, you know she she's a pre a decent friend of mine." Mm-hmm. And he says, "Oh, have you ever heard about their alien encounter? the the documentary." And I was like, no, I've never heard of that. And and he was like, oh, well, you should look into it. It's interesting. It was a Discovery Channel documentary. And I was just like, okay. So I watched the documentary. And it was the first time I had seen Emily's family. You know, I had always known Emily, but never mm-hmm. knew her family. And I mean, it was in, it was within a few months later that Emily and I actually started hanging out outside of school. And I remember meeting, you know, Chris Bledsoe for the first time thinking, oh, wait, this is this alien guy. (laughs) And, you know, the rest is history. And, you know, now we're great friends and we'll be family soon. But um, yeah, it's just interesting how it kind of boils down. So that was in high school? So, we met in the sixth grade, And in the tenth grade is when I actually started hanging out mm-hmm. with the family.
0: Mm-hmm. And but then when did Brian enter the picture and enter your life?
3: Yeah. so that was when I was in in the tenth grade. That was two thousand and twelve. And um um we started dating the next year in 2013. So it was one of those things where Emily was a great friend of mine and she still is and I kind of swooped her her brother away.
0: <laughs> so so your impression at the time that you met the family how did you feel because you had been hearing all this mocking but it didn't you didn't seem to affect you that way.
3: Yeah, so um I um, became a part of the family, you know. Started hanging out with them in June. It was not until September of the same year in 2012 when Emily kind of broke the news to me. She kind of sat me down and another friend down and said, "Hey Ryan, um, do you think that it's time for us to to tell them the story?" And Ryan at the time was like, eh, "Man, I don't I don't know if I want to tell them." And Emily ended up telling me the story, and for me, it was. I mean, I was very moved by it because, you know, my whole life, my my mother was very open-minded mm-hmm. in a way. You know, she was always into spirituality or past lives or things like that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think because of my background, it was very meaningful for me. I was yeah. moved and it was in no way a, a funny situation. I could feel, you know, she brought in Chris Sr. to Talk to me about the story. And I was moved. I, I think I shed a tear or two because yeah. of how real the emotion is. You know, there's a difference between hearing something through a screen and then seeing somebody in person and you feel the emotion in the room.
0: Right. Right. And, and for people who are not familiar with Ryan's father, Chris's story, there's a lot more to it than what Ryan just told. I mean, there are health issues, and there are family issues, and there's your grandparents, and there's a lot to this story. And because we have limited time here, that's why I said I would uh, provide links to interviews with your dad in the show notes so that people could get the backstory after they listen to this episode. So, you, Jennifer, were very open to the situation. And after that initial experience in 2007, Ryan, were there any further experiences? Well, obviously, there, there or to, were. Yeah.
2: Um, to this day, it hasn't stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, so after the documentary aired, we, we thought it would be positive until we saw it on TV. So what happened there? Most people don't realize the Hollywood process, but you know, if you're on camera, you don't know the end result. Mm-hmm. And when it aired – so we shot it in the summer on our property and at the Cape Verde River of, I guess, 2008. It aired that fall. And when we saw it on TV, we were in shock because we realized they had been lying to us. And in person, they were so kind. Not every one of them. I mean, they, they did some things that were um, not very kind. But when I say kind, I mean they were telling us they believed us and how it was this incredible story. And they actually got – physical data from our property like radiation samples of the yard um, on the tree that the entity stood under they didn't release any of the physical data that they captured while we were there with them um they only showed four minutes of the one and a half hour regression and they showed like the silliest part of it and they did all these things when the documentary aired that that shocked us and then we were mocked and you know next thing you know we were quiet for probably the next four to five years.
0: Well, I'd like to jump in there because I don't want uh, this to get lost. So I was unsure about the, was he a psychologist that regressed your father?
2: Michael O'Connell.
0: Okay, he was a psychologist. Yes. Okay, I was unsure as to how that experience was for you guys and now it makes sense. You say that it was an hour and a half regression and they only showed a couple minutes of it.
2: Yes, that's correct.
0: It was your father saying that the little entities were were children. The children and that they were being let out to play in the yard. And so, yeah, it did sound like, well, you know, come on, you know, so they didn't have to choose that segment to air, but they did.
2: Oh, no, there was an hour and a half of mind blowing audio, um, just some truly mind blowing things that have been lost, you know, and, and I mean, physically lost Mufon ditched the evidence. And when we reached out to them for more copies, they said, Oh, well, we lost the data. So I'm I'm
0: still not understanding why they would want to discredit you when this is such a wonderfully, I don't know, positive, beautiful, interesting case. Isn't that what they exist for?
2: I would say no if we're being honest. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I don't think these data collection agencies exist to get out the truth. Um, and there's a lot of history there, not to disparage anybody, but no, they, they, they didn't have the truth at heart uh, because they told us in our, in our home how much they believed us. And they showed us drawings and diagrams for the 1950s of the same entities actually showing up to the government officials and that's why they believed us from the moment dad sent the report and then when they aired the evidence or actually they didn't even show the evidence they just showed everybody talking on the documentary mm-hmm. and then they you know said we were lying or whatever
0: now is is that true they're there they showed you drawings of similar entities from the 1950s? yeah that's true
2: i'm i'm telling you the truth yeah. no, <laughs> yeah.
0: no, no no i i would you say a little bit more about that
2: Sure. So um, James Carrion, and I believe it was Norm Gagnon, or maybe it was Richard Lang. It was it was the people doing the investigation. They showed us diag- – so what they did – let me just back up a little sure. bit. So what they did was when my dad hit send on the report, within a week he got contacted by a MUFON uh, agent, so to speak. A, a very nice guy by the name of Steve McGee. The way MUFON works is it's this – almost like a pyramid scheme of data collection. So you have your local chapters where, like me and you right now could sign up to be MUFON volunteers and every little report that seems somewhat worthwhile, me and you would show up. But if it's serious and we report back to headquarters that it might be genuine, then they kick us to the curb and they put on like, you know, the star team or whatever the higher up on the chain is. And that's what happened with us. What happened was Steve McGee, one of the North Carolina volunteers, got kicked to the curb and next thing you know, the director of the entire United States MUFON showed up, James Carrion. It also turned out that he was in the CIA. So what what I'm trying to do here is um, paint a picture without disparaging anybody, but you know, so what what they did was they showed us diagrams that were identical to my father's drawings down to the, the eye mechanisms, the craft, the shape, the designs. And they said in 1952, these beings appeared, and they warned the United States government that if you continue using nuclear weapons above ground, um, you'll harm beings in other realities. And if you go Google right now in the 1950s, they did stop testing nukes above ground. I Googled that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I actually used to work for the nuclear freeze. Wow, that was a long time ago. Oh, gosh. Nuclear freeze. And I can't remember coalition for a test ban. Uh, yeah. When I was in college. Wow. I had forgotten about that.
2: Yes. Yeah. Well, that's what they told us. And they said, we believe you, your story. They said that this story is extremely important for mankind. We got to get it out there in a documentary. And, next, and then when it aired, that's why we were in so much shock because they My. did us dirty. So okay. back to your original question that's kind of getting to a point. So we were quiet for the next five years or or whatever it was until 2012. So from 2008 to 2012, we didn't go public. Maybe little tiny uh, conventions around our area where like 30 people would be, you know, sitting in a booked out room and we might tell the story, but we didn't go public. Um, But we continued to have hundreds or thousands of experiences on our property. And I know that sounds like an exaggeration, but my father has a over fifteen thousand photos on his phone of orbs I've seen that with my own eyes I've mm-hmm. seen that number
0: I'm friends with both you and your father on Facebook and I follow you both on Instagram and I've seen a lot i mean just I shouldn't say a lot because it's not a lot uh compared to how many he probably has photos and and videos too of yeah. these orbs
2: yeah um. Well, it blows away the uh, intelligence people too. But but what concerns me is you know, they tell us to go tell our story, mm-hmm. but then they don't publicly endorse us.
0: Now, who's so, they? Are you talking about Moonfan?
2: No, I'm talking about like CIA people, intelligence people.
0: They they NASA. encourage you, they encourage you to tell your story to the public. Yes. yes. But then they don't
2: they don't publicly back us up in any way Mm. so i don't know it's just it's it's kind of takes me back to the documentary days yeah
0: that's frustrating but is it because they can't because of who they work for
2: very possible could be that they couldn't with their clearances make an opinion on behalf of the united states government i will Mm say um earlier you mentioned that you had seen my interview on andy mcgrillan that ufo podcast yes Uh, very nice individual he had lou elizondo on there and he asked lou elizondo what do you think about the bledsoe's And I think it caught him off guard. And Lou Elizondo said, well, you know, I've met Mr. Bledsoe twice. He's a wonderful man. He has a wonderful family. I have no reason to believe that he's lying or being dishonest, but I don't have any data that I can submit to Congress for funding, and it doesn't fit within our calculus of the efforts that we're doing and blah, blah, blah. And he basically went out of his way to uh, be very kind in his opinions about us, Mm -hmm. but went around in circles to say, but I can't endorse them on behalf of the United States government because we might not get funding at Congress. And he straight out said, he said what goes on at Mr. Bledsoe's property is just, is kind of like Skinwalker Ranch. So I don't know. It's just, it's frustrating. Sometimes. It is
0: frustrating. It is. Now, and and I want to talk about that. Um, but first, Jennifer, I'd like to hear your experience of this phenomena. Uh, w- w- what have you
3: seen? Yeah, so it, it took me a few years, right? And it was very much something that I struggled with of, man, I've been part of this family or been around this family mm-hmm. for two years now and I just haven't seen anything. And the first sort of instances when I saw things were just sort of lights in the sky, right? Okay. And we would kind of lay out at night and just see lights in the sky. And I think my first very significant, um, experience was one night when Ryan and I were actually leaving his house and he walks out the door first and he goes, Oh man, I think I just saw a light. And for me, I was like, Oh, you know, it could have just been a plane. He's like, no, a light going through my yard. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, well, that's interesting. It kind of shot from eye level down into the ground is what he said he saw. So it's like, okay, you know, cool. We walk over to his car, which the way it was parked is you can sort of see into his backyard and then you can also see like his front yard. You could see the whole area. And I was going to open the door and it was locked. I was waiting for Ryan to unlock it. And I see the same sort of thing Ryan um, described and it shot toward me and it was a streak of light. And I was kind of flickering my eyes back and forth to see if my eyes were playing tricks on me. Mm -hmm. And out of nowhere, I just set into panic and I can't explain why it was like a a reaction. And I was jerking on the door handle, open the door, open the door, open the door. And Ryan's like, okay, hold on. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, find the, the key. And, um, so I just, we get in the car and I said, Ryan, I was like, I think I saw something, too. There were tears. It was just, it was very emotional. And that, to me, was also sort of, you know, a confirmation that, wait, maybe something out of this world, you know, from out of this world was within my presence for me to sort of react that way. Um, So I've seen that. I've also had a very significant, uh, significant experience by myself driving home one night from the Bledsoe's house, and I think this one is also one I hold really um, dear to my heart Mm -hmm. because a few, um, I'm going to say months before, I had had a dream that I was in the same spot with Chris Bledsoe Sr. just alone, and I was having you know, in experience with him, I saw a light in the sky. And Chris always says, you know, your dreams are not just dreams. Mm-hmm. And so um, anyway, months later, I'm driving home. And I realize I was like, wow, the sky seems really bright tonight. Mm. And um, I was like, okay, I brushed it off. I go around the corner, I take a a, um, a right turn into my neighborhood. And there is this huge a sort of ball of light kind of right in front of me, like directly in front of me. So I'm driving straight and I take a right onto my road. So now the light is to the left of me. And I notice that it is sort of, it's very, you know, very significant. And I see it following my car in a way. So I park the car and I ran to my back door to see if I could see it. And it, it sort of is still coming toward, it's it's going toward the right now because I'm staring straight at it and it's going toward the right and it is bouncing and pulsating and sort of jumping upward in the sky. And it gets to its highest point directly in front of me and it fades away.
0: And how large was it?
3: It was like, I mean, it was in the, in the sky, it was probably like the size of maybe a golf ball, like okay. if, so if it was put it, s- small, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was but it was a significant sky larger than the stars, yes, you know, okay. very much larger than mm-hmm. the stars. And the reason it was so significant is because I had lined it up with the lines in my window to sort of see, okay, is this mm-hmm. thing moving, or is it just me? Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it was bouncing and pulsating. And I had never seen anything do that before in the sky. I had only seen things go left and right and up and down, but this time it was just doing really, it had really irregular movements. So, I mean, I was really moved by it and I thought back to that dream where Mm -hmm. I was in that same exact spot with Chris Bledsoe Sr. in the dream and I was like, wow, I wonder if I was meant to have this experience. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it just faded away.
3: Yep, it it got to its highest point and it literally just faded away. It was, mm-hmm. it was something else. Mm-hmm.
0: And so have there been any other experiences that that you've had separate from Ryan? Uh, cause that he wasn't there when that happened.
3: Yeah, he was not there. I, um, I have seen a few things in the sky when we go, um, back home at the blood. house and with the family mm-hmm. and I have, um, You know, Ryan and I have seen things together, but I wouldn't say there's anything significant. There's definitely very um, weird coincidences that might happen. Like another night I was also driving home and owls in a way are are sort of significant in the story Mm -hmm. in that they're messengers, you know. So I... um, yeah, a huge owl swooped in front of my car one night as well. And that was when I was coming back from the Bledsoe house when they had had guests over at their house. Oh, interesting. Where, yeah, where we'll talk about these things all night long, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And so I was just driving home. It was probably two or three in the morning. And this huge owl kind of swoops in front of my my car, like and I you said. you were by it, yourself.
0: Yeah. Driving. I, and were you yeah. afraid?
3: No. I. No. It's funny because I don't, I don't really get afraid of these things anymore, right? The first sort of big experience where it was ground level, it wasn't even that I was afraid the first time. It Mm -hmm. was that it was just so like, almost kind of like, wow, finally, you know, finally I see something and it felt special and so real. Um, I, I have actually seen a few things in the sky with Ryan's sister, when it was just her and I, so a few
2: weeks ago, you did remember.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, we saw a big red um, light sort of over the tree line at a distance, and it did the same sort of thing where it just disappeared. Um, but Emily, Emily, the sister, yeah, <laughs> my sister. little sister. Yeah, Emily sort of attracts these things, you know, and it's she. She's kind of known to have a lot of experiences here and there. So what I was going to ask you
0: both is, is there anybody in your community that was mocking you or making fun of you or thinking you were crazy or this was demonic? Has anyone had an experience later that changed yes. their mind?
2: Yes. My grandmother and grandfather, uh, my mm-hmm. father's parents. Okay. Okay. Uh, my mother's sister and her husband, they saw something pretty huge. It was about the size of a car. Um, and they, they were pretty hard about the fact that they don't like this and don't talk about it and this and that. And that I, I can't think of anybody else in the family that has mocked, that has seen things, but it's definitely happened. Um, my grandpa was miraculously healed of cancer. And when he told my dad the news, it was either my dad or my grandma, I can't remember which one, um, threw their hands up in the air and said, thank the Lord. And at that time, there was a light in the sky it went when they threw their... I, I just can't remember if it was my dad or my grandma, but they were together, you know, sitting there with my grandpa.
0: So he had cancer, and then you say he was miraculously healed. Do Do you know how?
2: I mean, this phenomenon whatever it is, is very Mm -hmm. mysterious. It healed my father of Crohn's disease. And there've been probably half a dozen or a dozen other people that have come to our property and been healed of various ailments, you know, cancer. Some people have had, um, strokes fixed, like stroke symptoms. Mm -hmm. Mm Um, by simply
0: visiting the property or by hanging out there and,
2: just by being around my dad, to, you know, we, we, we've gone to a new property and this continues to happen. We don't live at that original property anymore or my, okay. my parents don't. And um, people have been in proximity to my dad and then within days have a routine checkup for their cancer. And they're like, oh, my God, Chris, my cancer has gone and they're in remission, you know, and um, that happened to my grandpa. And then unfortunately, a year and a half later, he did die of a heart attack.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. So the people who, because I, I'm I'm sure that the listeners are going to react to this, uh, who believe that they were healed from their ailments by spending time with your father or time uh, on the property, did they necessarily have to do anything or see something in order they for the healing? They saw orbs. They saw orbs. Okay. Because we haven't really gotten into that yet. Yeah. Um, and, and that's important because I, I have experienced orbs myself and I, I'd like to talk a little bit about that, but it, now the beings that your brother and your father saw back in 2007 uh, in the woods, have they reappeared?
2: Yes, I've actually seen one myself in my bedroom. In your um,
0: bedroom, okay.
2: Yes, at, at basically a little past the foot of the bed, it was standing at, at the closet door. But it was translucent. Imagine looking at glass, but the glass has no reflection. You know how there's like streaks and light shining on glass? Imagine if you will, that you could see the glass, but there's a border on it, so you know it's actually there. Mm -hmm. And it has this shape with like a head and arms and legs, and it had two really round eyes. But there was no color. Yeah. It it, it was almost as if a sheet of glass with a cookie cutter shape was standing there. It It was like invisible, but visible.
0: You said that it was in your bedroom. Were you, had you been asleep and you woke up? The light was on and I was awake
2: talking to my best friend and he saw it too. Oh, um, so we, you
0: weren't sleeping. This wasn't part no, of No, no, we okay.
2: were consciously awake. And what what happened was we were having a conversation about this, this stuff. And my friend Alex grew up in, surprisingly enough, he lived in two haunted houses in his childhood. It's just a funny little anecdote. And mm-hmm. he was always really into this stuff. And when he would come over, we would stay up really late talking about it. that particular night, we were talking about these kinds of things and, you know, experiences he had as a child. And something touched me physically, like a hand touched my my rib cage. Um, And when I lifted my shirt, there was a red print on my on my ribs. And we both looked in the corner and it was standing there. And then it was gone within a second or two. And he looked at me fast as you could turn your head without your neck snapping basically is that's how excited he was and his eyes wide as saucers and he goes oh my god you saw that too i said yeah and then we probably stayed awake till five or six in the morning because we were so amped you know like that was totally real we just saw that but when you see these things there's a lot of excitement there's a lot of energy
0: yeah, yeah. so it it didn't hang around you saw it and then it was gone
2: yeah it was gone within seconds
0: so if it was physical then there's no way it could disappear if it was physical as we know physicality it it would not have been able to just disappear so do you believe that this is existing in another dimension
2: yes i believe they are beings of light i believe they have um a very advanced form of consciousness that has been either intentionally or unintentionally doesn't really matter but it has been hidden um a level of consciousness that's advanced beyond ours that we don't understand. We don't know how to harness it yet. And I believe that what these beings are is one of the next few steps in our evolution. Mm-hmm. That we will be like them when we learn to get over all these stupid little human problems and 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 find love, like true love, and and reach higher states of consciousness. I think that's where we're headed.
0: You know, that's interesting that you mentioned that. Do you know Whitley Strieber?
2: I don't know him, but I know of him. I think my dad's met him.
0: He just published a book on the life of Jesus. It's called Jesus, a New Vision. And we recorded an episode together uh, back in March. And It sounds very much like what you just said, how you described what you think these beings of light are, sound very much like Whitley's um, depiction of who he thinks Jesus was. Wow. Very similar. Very, very very interesting. interesting. Yeah. And so this has affected your religious life and your family's religious life um, and, and not in a very positive way it shifted it
2: yeah well I would I would say it, it did affect me in a very positive way um, in the sense that when I grew up it was very strict Christianity like, long skirts. And I'm not and I just want to make very clear that I'm not mocking Christianity right. and I love Jesus. This mm-hmm. is this is not to be disrespectful, but I'm just I'm I'm telling the truth here.
1: Understood. The way I was
2: raised was you go to church, every service, you get on your knees and you're supposed to cry and you're supposed to beg for forgiveness for all the sins you've committed or whatever. And it's this very like fear and shame and guilt-ridden belief system.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I after Seeing and encountering these beings, I've come to realize that if any of the texts out there that were, so to speak, exoteric had the pure truth, then we would probably be a utopia. Yeah. Since I was 13 years old, I've been seeing these lights that the government came in and they literally tried to um, cover us up and, and smear us and, you know… They never thought we would have more experiences and be out here today. But the point I'm being is this this experience changed my spiritual beliefs to know without a single doubt that there really is something out there that is alive. It's literally made of light. I've seen it with my two eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's real. It heals people. It helps people. And I think that that is where humanity could be heading if we... Stopped being so fearful of the truth.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've heard you say that before, and I was thinking about that from a Jungian perspective. If you don't mind, I would just like to put in my two cents about that. And sure, Christian fundamentalism, I believe, is a compensation for an intolerance for ambiguity. Life is a mystery, and for a lot of us, that produces a lot of anxiety. And so we have these what Dr. Hollis calls anxiety management systems that keep us feeling secure. And so to adhere to a rigid dogma might sort of, you know, it it might work for some people, it's very black and white, and it'll make people feel better. But where I'm coming from, there isn't just one truth. And to live with the mystery, it's just a very limiting way to look at the world. There's so much we don't know about not just the world, but ourselves. And, you know, I studied the brain in college, and I, I worked at hospital and research, and there's so much that we still don't know about how the brain works,
1: right. that
0: we can't make a final decision on anything. The truth is we don't know, but some people can can tolerate that not knowingness and other people just can't. And so that's where I think these, these rigid uh, structures come in t- that where people, I'm sorry, I'm getting a lot of static. Cause,
2: yeah, there's definitely some interference
3: Can you hear me okay? I hear it as well. I don't know what that is. Ryan, um, can you try to turn the air conditioning off maybe, Ryan?
2: Yeah, but that's... I don't think that's what it is. It's some weird signal thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. All right. We'll see if anything changes. Okay. I think it was more of a signal thing than an external noise.
0: I had never heard that before on Skype. Hmm. It's quiet now.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the air is still running. So it wasn't that. Sorry about that.
0: So it's a big topic. It's a hot topic. Uh, It's, it's very difficult to talk about because it's like politics. I try not to talk about it, but it's an issue. And, For disclosure to happen, and when I say disclosure, I mean the admission that what, you know, that too, now I've come to, I don't think it's aliens either, so. Yeah, (laughs) It's, it's not. It's not, but. I've been part of the, like I said, uh, when we were chatting before we started recording, I've been part of the UFO community since the 1980s. And I've always been interested in UFOs, right? Right. And I've really only recently begun to consider that that might be a false narrative.
2: It's mind control and neuro-linguistic programming.
0: Okay, so say a little bit more about
2: that. So, okay. So the image of the saucer has been put on TV since the 1950s and this mm-hmm. verbiage is used like UFO, alien, and Martian and all that has been embedded into our collective yeah. consciousness because it's neurolinguistic programming. And I mean, when you when you boil it down, it's like propaganda mind control.
0: Yeah.
2: That's that's unfortunately that's what it is.
0: I just want to say, when I was a kid, uh, my brother and I watched a lot of television, and even the Flintstones. Do you guys even know what the Flintstones are? hmm Yes. You do.
2: Okay. <laughs> and Marvin the Martian. Was it Marvin? No, that's Looney Tunes. I'm sorry. But it did have a Martian.
0: It did. Uh, Gazoo. I thought it we was did. Kazoo Gazoo yeah, uh, yeah. that only Fred and Barney could see. And then there was My Favorite Martian, there was Lost in Space, there was mm-hmm, Battlestar yeah. Galactica, there was Star Trek. I didn't really realize how much until recently when I looked back, how much alien UFO stuff that from a very young age we were taking in. Yep. I did an episode with Walter Bosley a few weeks ago about, and we were talking about Roswell and what happened. And I always thought it was a flying saucer from another planet that crashed. I still don't know why it would crash, but it crashed Mm -hmm. and there were alien bodies that were recovered. Well, he thinks otherwise and gives a very compelling case for why that was perception management and that that was really uh, our attempt at putting man in space and it went wrong. So this experience that your father had with seeing things in the sky, encountering beings, it's not dressed up as aliens and UFOs. It could be something else.
2: Well, they're beings of light. They appeared to my father as beings of light. And what I was trying to get to earlier, but I, I think I, I was trying to get to a point and then another interesting side thing came up. But earlier you asked w- what else has occurred? Yeah in 2012, my father saw what I like to call an apparition. okay um, It looked like in his description, it was a beautiful um, young in appearance, a blonde woman with or, or white, Blonde-haired, blue-eyed, with a white dress from her neck to her feet. But she was floating. Mm -hmm. She first appeared as a bull. She knocked my father over. But it was like this ghastly, kind of like ghostly apparition. It wasn't physical. It wasn't just like a bull walked in the yard. It was just like he turned around and it was there.
0: He was outside? He was inside?
2: Yes, he was outside. He was outside
0: and it was day? It was night? No, it, it was nighttime. Okay.
2: And this this uh, this lady is what we call her, the lady, mm-hmm. she uh, started telling my dad some things about, like, um, disclosure, and there's, you know, basically this shadowy group in power, uh, gl- in group, excuse me, Kitty? global power, like a global oligarchy-type group okay. um, who is pushing a false disclosure narrative, and basically that he... You know, has to go tell a story. And that's when the CIA started showing up. Like DARPA type people, NRO, uh, CIA, more NASA individuals started coming to our property after my father saw this lady.
0: How did they know he saw it?
2: Be, funny you say that because he was speaking at a conference in Asheville, North Carolina, and I was with him that day. Okay. And um, Diana Pasolka was there. Diana Walsh Pasolka, who I think you just recently interviewed, yes. like, your most recent guest, right?
0: Uh, it was on March 17th.
2: Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought it was That's more okay. recent. I'm not very good with keeping up with social media.
1: That's but
2: anyway, I mean. so we did a little conference in, in Asheville. It was probably about 40 or 50 people. And my dad starts talking about this lady that he saw a few days or weeks before. And he started getting heckling from the crowd. Uh, No one had heard this story publicly yet. And they wanted to hear about the stuff they saw on the the Discovery Channel documentary. Mm -hmm. And Diana was there. And long story short, um, we became friends with her and got involved with studying things with her and meeting other like professor-type individuals. And the word spread um, to our NASA friend. Uh, okay. Harold Plovenmeyer who's passed away and mm-hmm. then next thing, you know, we started having some some really uh, I say Clandestine type individuals on our property basically telling us we know the lady is real. What is she telling you?
0: Okay, so wait, so they showed up after the your father saw the lady, but not yeah. before After he had his experience of missing time on the Cape Fear River when he saw the orbs in the sky and the translucent being, they didn't show up after that. They showed up after he had the vision of the woman?
2: Yes, that is correct. So after 2007, they did the whole documentary thing the next year. 2009, an individual named Harold Pavanmeyer, or, or Hal mm-hmm. um starts showing up on our property, and he, he came on behalf of NASA. And then he was the only one before 2012 who came from the government Uh, before the lady and then when dad saw this um, lady apparition we started having all kinds of crazy people show up i don't mean crazy in a mean way i mean crazy like unbelievable who they're affiliated with
0: why would Pavan meyer who is was really well-known um astronomer at ohio state in columbus where i used to live he wrote a book but this was after that, he wrote a book called UFOs and Alien Abduction Phenomena, a Scientific Analysis. And I heard him actually on Richard C. Hoagland's podcast or radio show actually uh, called The Other Side of Midnight back in 2017. This was before I had heard your story. So I knew who he was. But why would he sh- an astronomer? Why would he show up at your property to talk to you guys?
2: I mean, it's never really been framed that way. We we never really thought about it like that. The fact that he was an astronomer, he was he was more than just an astronomer. He was part of NASA's press corps. Um, he was also one of the, I think, assistant engineers on one of the Apollo moon missions. I don't know if it was the Apollo 11, but it was one of them. Like he has stuff that he's built on the moon. He was an ex-CIA analyst. He really had a lot of careers.
0: Oh, I didn't know he was CIA. Okay. Yeah. But he took interest in your father? I mean, there are a lot of people who see UFOs, they see lights in the sky, and they have seen beings. I mean, Whitley Strieber is one of them. Why your father?
2: They know without a doubt that it's a true story. And they wanted to get as many details as they could. And I mean, literally, my fiance, Jennifer Jennifer's on this call right now, she can attest to this, there'd be many times I'd be at her house, you know, early on, like, Spending the evening with her parents, eating dinner, mundane things like that. We're driving to go to food line to get groceries, whatever. Yeah. And I'm irritated because I'm getting a call from NASA trying to get more information out of me. I mean, could you attest to that, Jenny?
3: Oh, for sure. I mean it. It was it was uh, disruptive in a way. And then now oh. looking back, it's it's like you know, wow, it really is cool, you know. But while you're in the moment, it's like, right. oh, why this guy keep calling me? And and just. From my perspective, with all of these guests, right, I, I, I would be um, hanging around with the Bledsoe family, and, and the more I would go over there, the more um, guests from this state and, and this department would, would be over, and I just, it, it was really a lot. It, they would have guests there multiple times a week, whether it was, um, you know, an official person from the government, or if it was just a local experiencer that also had interest in the story, the Bledsoe's would welcome anybody in, you know, to, to open up and talk about their experiences. And looking back, it was, it was very overwhelming to meet these people who claim they're from here, claim they're from there. And it wasn't until years later, when we had gone to um, a bar mitzvah in New York City, and I saw the deputy director of the CIA in person myself is when I realized, wow, so all of those people really were from the departments that they said they were from, you know, and so
0: what 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 time frame are we talking about here? What years? W- w- did this occur?
2: Well, that was 2015, the bar mitzvah she's referencing. Okay. Um, but I would say back around 2014, 2015, I was getting a lot of heavy calls from Hal Povemeyer. Um and, and he was a great friend of mine. It's just, you know, sometimes you get irritated when your mom or dad calls you and you're like, oh, I'm busy. You know, that doesn't mean I'm trying to put him down, but he would call us a lot. And um, we met um, Jim Simivan, who ran the um, clandestine operations uh, for the entire northern hemisphere. For the United States CIA. Uh, we met him around, what would you say, Jenny, 2015? Was that the bar mitzvah? Yeah, it was
3: 2015. Yeah,
2: I did just say that, didn't I? Yeah, so it was 2015. And then we also met John Alexander, who um, ran the psychic spying program, which is popularized by the men who stare at goats.
0: I studied remote viewing with one of them. So I heard you mention that. Yeah. Oh, wow.
2: Okay, yeah. so you know, John?
0: No, I don't know John, but I learned remote viewing uh, first from Simeon Hine. I think you might know him.
2: I've heard of him. I have not met him.
0: Simeon Hine, who's going to be a guest uh, in a few months. Uh, and then I, well, I I studied with somebody else who I don't want to mention. And then, because it, it was not a good experience. And then I found my teacher that I stuck with for several years who was part of Project Stargate.
2: I have a guess who it is, but I will not say.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you off air. Um, okay. But what I'm curious about, Jennifer and Ryan, when, when you got these visits, what would happen? Everybody would sit around and talk? Or I mean, what was the purpose of them physically visiting you guys?
2: I think it was all largely um, intelligence collection. the family, seeing how we are in person, seeing if there's any new information. Um, I can tell you this, since I was 15 years old, I've had people from NASA and the CIA and other places like Air Force Intelligence or whatever, over and over tell me that we're bugged and we're tapped and we're remote viewed and we're spied on and this and that and the other to the point to where they fostered this intense paranoia that we're being spied on. I think that may have been um, intentional to scare the living crap out of me so that I would grow up and be paranoid. I'm not anymore. I've come to realize if they were tapping me, they wouldn't be so shocked when I mention certain things to them that I say all the time around my cell phone. Um, I don't know. I mean, if I'm being perfectly honest with you here, Laura, I don't know why the director of the spy program has been coming to my property and communicating with us and NASA and the NRO, the guy from American Cosmic. I can't honestly tell you Um, why they come to our property other than they know it's a real phenomenon and they're desperate to gain as much intelligence on it as they can. And
0: that's what they're doing when they're there. They're talking to you. They're asking you, have you seen anything lately? How are you feeling? Did you have any
3: dreams? Is that? Yes. Yes. Well, and I also wanted to interject, and they were always curious to see the environment that they like lived in, right? They wanted to see, for example, where did the first experience happen? They they wanted to go to the Cape Fear River. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they would bring cameras, night vision cameras, and try to tape things. Sometimes they would come and bring presentations and try to educate the Bledsoe's on this and that and, and um. On, like, wait, say, wait, wait, wait. like what
0: like what i want to know what what is yeah. this and that
2: <laughs> well let me I, I should probably handle that one so um the guy from american cosmic he would talk to us about uh when actually jenny wasn't present for this because at the time she wasn't a blood cell
0: okay so which guy from american cosmic tyler d when we say american cosmic for the listeners that is Diana Walsh Pasolka's book. She was my guest in episode. Oh, sorry. I, That's okay. I
2: assumed they were familiar. I, I, I have to remember this is not a UFO podcast.
0: That's all right. I just want to make sure I get the episode number right. Diana Pasolka's episode is Q14. Okay, go ahead.
2: Okay, excellent. So, you know, long story short for the listener, um, American Cosmic by Diana Walsh Pasolka. It's a very powerful book. Um My father and the author uh, used to study together and communicate very frequently. It was on a daily or weekly basis. Uh, In a nutshell, my father uh, introduced Tyler D., one of the main figures of the book, Mm -hmm. and Diana Walsh Pasolka together because both of them had indicated they were interested in a similar field of study. And the next thing you know, the book is born. My father is actually written about in the book, but he's Mm -hmm. left anonymous. She did not mention his name. Um, Anyway, so this individual came to our property in 2013. Um, He had a MacBook with PowerPoints on it about Area 51 um, and other things like his life and how he got into NASA and just like explaining in general who he was. Um, He showed us photos of Area 51. He had a clearance um, for Area 51. And Air Force Intelligence and NASA and CIA, he had all these clearances. Um, And at one point, he had this Manoa envelope, and when he opened the envelope, there were these charts in it. There were isotope charts, and they were isotopes that do not exist on Earth. And he pulled these little pieces of – they looked like aluminum, but they had this honeycomb-shaped structure Um, And he put them in my hands. And when he put one in my hand, he said, I want to put the other one in your hand. I just want you to pay attention. And I said, okay. And when he put the other piece in my other hand, I felt electricity run through my body. Mm -hmm. Um, And we did this with my mother, my father, both of my brothers and my sister. We all felt electricity run through our bodies.
0: And it's before you knew what it was or after?
2: Well, he told us it was exotic material. Okay. Okay. It's found at the uh, gifting field, I believe is what it's called. It's in the book, American Cosmic.
0: Yes, the donation site, okay.
2: Sure, okay, yeah. So this is one of those pieces, right? It was actually two pieces. And uh, he put them in, in, in our hands, and when we felt electricity, he did it one by one, so nobody communicated to the other one what to expect, and it was this really weird thing. And then he basically told us all, he gathered all six of us in one spot. And the funny thing is, my fiancée Jenny, who's on the line with us, um, we put it in her hands too, and she didn't feel a thing. Oh,
0: and, interesting.
3: Okay, yeah. yeah, I had shown up after the presentation, so mm-hmm. I didn't see any of that, and I had no context as to who this guy was. I just knew it was one of the, the UFO guests, I guess okay. you could say. Right. Um, and so you know, he placed it in my hands and said, Do you feel any like, do you feel anything? Pay attention, mm-hmm. and I. I was just confused. I was like, no, I, I don't feel anything. So every every single one of the Bledsoe's, of course, was mind blown. Like, oh my goodness. You know, the fact that sort of an, an outsider in a way doesn't feel it, I wonder what that means. So
0: now, Ryan, you said that your mother and your father both felt something. Yes. What I'm thinking is, is that your mother and your father are not blood related. So they're not genetically related you are genetically related to your mother, you are genetically related to your father, but your mother and your father are not. But your mother felt something and your father felt something and the children felt something. Correct. Correct. That's interesting. That's so interesting. Okay.
2: Well, he told us afterwards what that means for someone who has felt energy from these exotic materials Mm -hmm. at some point in their lives has come face to face Oh. With some off world presence.
0: Oh, I see. Okay.
2: But this isn't anything at the time that I had consciously remembered. I was kind of mind blown, like, oh wow, I guess I guess I need a hypnotic regression, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um but that's that's what he said it meant. And he said, I've only ever seen this with three other people. And, you know, he was very well blown away. Um
0: did he say who they were?
2: No, we didn't even ask.
0: And and your mother now did, did she have face-to-face encounters? Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. She saw something run out of, um, outside one of our windows. And she's also been interacted with, with things that were not visible. Like, for example, she was shoved in our kitchen one time when she was doing dishes or cooking or something like that. Poltergeist type stuff.
0: So, those are... Arts parts? Arts
2: parts. I've heard that, but...
0: The materials that Art Bell was given, he or somebody, one of the listeners maybe, called them arts parts. And then Linda Moulton Howe was given some and Whitley Strieber as well. And Linda Moulton Howe sold hers to TTSA for like $35,000. And I was wondering if these were all the same that's same, a shame because
2: they're worth way more than that.
0: Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Whitley still has his um, Art Bell. Well, Art Bell passed away in 2018. Um, not sure where his are. But anyway, I guess this is the same substance uh, that Diana Wash Pasolka wrote about in American Cosmic that she found in at this donation site in New Mexico that story where she was taken blindfolded yeah. with one of her friends—is this the same material?
2: I mean, I, I couldn't tell you because I—I I, all I know is what was brought to me in my home, right. and I haven't spoken to anyone else about materials. They've like I've never met Linda Moulton Howe. I've never met Whitley Strieber. Mm-hmm. It could be. I just can't confirm that. You okay, know?
0: but so how does this tie into? Um, the orbs, and the apparition of the lady. Those were not physical things. This material that Tyler D had you hold in your hand is some sort of metal, right? Right. So what is the connection between the interdimensional beings and then these exotic metals?
2: Well, it's a consciousness phenomenon. So Matter, the universe, the simulation, whatever we're really in, um, is is generated by consciousness. Now, imagine if there were beings that were so advanced with their consciousness that they weren't restricted by this little world that we're in. And they could pop into ours and and sort of, here, you get a medal, you get a medal, you see a flying disc, you see a light in the sky. They're not inhibited by the same rules that we are. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a manifestation thing, um, kind of like matter is an emergent property of consciousness.
0: I was wondering if these metals at this donation site, which is allegedly a crash site of a crashed flying saucer.
2: Yeah, that's now, what they say it is. but That's, that's not what, what it s- is.
0: Th- but it's not what it is. Okay, what do you know no. that it is?
2: Well. There are these benevolent entities who have guided and cultivated the collective consciousness of mankind by giving certain people patents, um, scientific knowledge, spiritual knowledge, um, technologies, and that's why it's called the gifting field. Uh, They they give things to us to advance our consciousness collectively and in many cases individually because that's what's happening.
0: There's more than just that metal at that site. There's other things too.
2: Well, yes, my father was involved with the figure Tyler D from uh that, that same book American mm-hmm. Cosmic.
1: Right.
2: Where this this figure now I say figure because that's not his real name. It's it's like a pseudonym. This um,
0: Tyler D. It's not his yes, real name. Yes, that's
2: not his real name. Okay. That's that's a name taken from Fight Club. The Brad Pitt character. It's, it's its sort of like a joke. His, his real name is something else. But this figure, who is very much a real person. Yeah. Um, was involved with my father and what he did. Now, this is going to sound strange to the listener. But I'm just going to tell it like it happened. He psychically induced um, knowledge into my father's head through imagery and dreams. Mm-hmm. That helped him make breakthroughs on patents that were very much exotic medical research, worth millions of dollars for these patents.
0: Wait, who who put it in whose head?
2: So the figure from American Cosmic sent my father, Tyler D. Yes, Tyler D. The person. Okay. He sent my father through email,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I found the email. Um, just, I'm not going to, you know, go share it or anything, but he, he sent my father, um, a sunflower and said, I want you to pay attention to this photo and just let me know if you feel anything. And when my father went to sleep that night, he had a dream. And when he woke up the next day, he emailed him back and he described what he saw in his dream. And that bit of information was what they needed for their breakthrough Mm -hmm. on their exotic medical research, bone cancer type stuff. And it was some advanced cellular phenomenon. Um, My dad saw it in images in his mind. He described the rotating patterns and things like that. And uh, they they actually had breakthroughs because of that. That's the powers of consciousness. What what they know within these high up elements of the intelligence communities, they know that these things are possible. And I'm going to tell you and the listeners this, and this because of the life I've lived, this is a true fact. Um, many super geniuses throughout human history have been given advancements of technology by entities. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And it's a gift to further mankind. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But there are shady elements who don't want to further mankind. And they put out the propaganda.
0: And how can we tell the difference?
2: Well, if there's anything that makes you feel afraid of anything, they're not your friend. Don't buy into fear. It, it, it's it's the killer of consciousness.
0: Well, the other side is always there, and you can't have one without the other.
2: Yes, but which one will you give power? Right. It's it's you know you gotta you gotta find that divine love. To you know.
0: No, it, it's interesting when you mentioned sunflower because today I was uh, bringing up the emojis on my Mac. And I needed a certain emoji, and it brought up the sunflower. And I tried again, and it was the sunflower. And I thought, okay, I'll just go with the sunflower. So when you said sunflower, that's why I um, kind of smirked a little.
2: That's awesome.
0: I'm just looking through my notes here to see what else we wanted to cover. You mentioned orbs, and I said that I had some experiences with orbs. And I bring it up because you were pretty adamant on one of the other episodes I I heard you do about the importance of orbs. And I've had two experiences with orbs, and they were many years apart, actually seven years apart, but they were both at the Joshua Tree Retreat Center in California.
2: My dad's seen orbs there.
0: Really? Yes.
2: I was just looking at those photos today. That's weird.
0: Well, I'm glad that you have photos because I have photos too. And I took a, the photo in the lecture hall there. Uh, on the stage was Whitley Strieber, his wife, Anne, William Henry from Ancient Aliens, and Starfire Tour and her partner a magician named Brandon Scott i believe and there was a synchronicity that happened involving green balloons and so there was a bunch of green balloons that that was there next to the stage this is back in 2009 uh-huh. and i took a photo of the state of everybody up on the stage with the balloons in the sh- in the frame and there were all these orbs in the photo and so Sometimes they're there, but we can't see them unless we take a photo, which reminds me of, I went to, it's supposed to be the most haunted house in all of the United States. It's in San Diego. And I didn't see anything or feel anything. Uh, We went at night on the tour and they kept encouraging us to take photos because they said that things will show up in the photos that you won't see with your naked eye. Anyway, so that was one experience at Joshua Tree in 2009. My other was in 2016. I was at Contact in the Desert, and we were all hanging out at one of the hotels. And it was night, and I saw something in the room. And it was a white – it wasn't a ball like, Jennifer, you were saying. That's why I was asking you when you said that you saw this light in the sky that – kind of followed you home or Mm -hmm. uh, in the hotel room it was like a swirling it wasn't a spinning disc it was a it, it happened so fast but it was it was white it was white white and it swirled and I said to the person that I was talking to I said, "Did you see that?" And right away, without missing a beat, he said, "Yeah. What was that?" So he didn't say, "What do you mean?" Or, "What did you see?" Like my story earlier,
2: mm. when we saw you the thing with, in the with It was friend. like you saw that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I was thinking about that when you said that, and I didn't see anything else, but I think it was the same gentleman, he was taking photos out the window, which he showed me, I don't know, either the next day or a few days later. He said, look at this photo that I took out the, we were all kind of like partying, you know, in this hotel. And there was a white orb and a purple orb kind of at the same height outside. There were trees um behind this hotel. And it looked very significant because there didn't seem to be any light source. So again, that was in Joshua tree, but tell me about your dad's experience there. Uh,
2: I cannot remember the name of the actress, but he was with an actress, um, and some other friends of ours. Mm -hmm. And, And this was several years ago and they, uh, went out to Joshua tree. I don't, remember if he saw the orbs at joshua tree or if it was at their house later that night obviously i live in north carolina this was in california all the way on the other side of the country um i could probably ask my dad the details but it wouldn't do us any good but I, i do know that he was with some folks at joshua tree and he saw orbs and he spoke to a young actress who was traumatized because she had experiences um in a cabin out there in the desert somewhere in California. And it just, it really helped her meeting her father.
0: Yeah, your dad has a great attitude about all of this. He's very calm. And I, I'm always very soothed to hear him talk. Um, because he has such a groundedness about him when he talks about this. And I can see how people are helped. People who are in distress about their experiences are helped by speaking with him.
2: Yeah. There's a, there's a meme out on the internet that he um, sounds like Matthew McConaughey.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I heard you say that actually, it was your dad. Uh, this is what I was trying to talk about before when I used the word disclosure, that he said that everybody had to be quiet about everything until 2016. And that's when disclosure actually already happened. And that stood out to me because 2016 was a huge turning point in my life. And that was the year that I saw the the white orb in in the hotel room in Joshua Tree. But what do you think is disclosure upon us?
2: Based on my memories here, I feel like he would have been referencing two thousand and seventeen, which was the New York Times article about the Nimitz uh, video, which was probably the first time in in our, you know lifetimes here that they have officially announced any sort of life, not from Earth. Um, and that got the ball rolling. And I think what we're heading towards is the age of Aquarius. Or we might already be in it uh, since 2012. And what people fail to talk about in a mainstream way is the importance of the age and what that brings. Um, And the age of Aquarius, in my humble opinion, will bring um, a very heightened awareness to this phenomenon. I think it's going to come out um, way more than people realize. I think people are going to experience it more. I think what we're going to see is the collective consciousness is going to change probably sometime in the next decade or two.
0: That more and more people were ex- will experience what your father experienced, what you guys experience?
2: Yes, I think it's going to start popping up. All around the place, more people are going to start seeing these orbs and these beings and these lights, whatever they can handle, okay. um, whatever their consciousness permits them to see.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think the age of Aquarius is going to be, um, you, you just just think about it like this: at every age, we enter some technological breakthrough or some sort of spiritual breakthrough, you know. Um, and we are on the cusp of that next breakthrough, and I think that next breakthrough will be a consciousness breakthrough, which will include the phenomenon, it'll include um, an explosion in technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally know some of the crazy technologies they have, like advanced holograms, um, the abilities to heal certain ailments like cancers and things like that.
0: Now you say they, who, who do you mean by they?
2: The United States.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: Like the deepest elements of the United States are capable of things that you see in films. And um, I I just think we're going towards a time where a lot of that will come out to light.
0: Okay. Well, that would be helpful if the things that could benefit us.
2: I'm sorry if that sounded jumbled. I heard a very loud bang outside my my door here. I was kind of investigating the noise while talking. Is everything
3: okay? Yeah, I think so.
2: it could I don't know. It was just very weird Loud, I
3: heard but I heard the same thing, Ryan.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was it was very loud and alarming, and I was I was trying to talk and yeah, I'm sorry about that. That's but,
0: okay. Take your time. I can edit this part out. Do you guys want to go check it out and make sure everything's okay?
2: No, I think we're okay. Okay. It just alarmed me in the moment and I was trying to, you know, um, talk at the same time.
3: That's okay. But, yeah. um, so go ahead, Jennifer. I, I yeah, I just wanted to add as well that ryan i don't know if you remember this but right before we had our very significant experience together it was our first big experience when we saw this sort of entities and light beings in the yard right that same night a few hours before we had left we had i think it was what was it the cia had released. It was
2: cia.gov
3: yeah had released um, documents on what was it? You would know it better than I would. Well, well they kind of called it the X Files. Yes.
2: And yeah, it was like five stories that that we've debunked, five stories that we have left a mystery.
3: Yeah. So it was just really interesting the timing and whenever you know you were talking about disclosure and how it could line up with people experiencing more. It was just so interesting how right before I had had my first experience that some sort of, you know, that the government had put out some documents, not necessarily disclosing anything, but mm-hmm. just kind of inching toward what you could call a disclosure. Right.
2: Also in 2012, the lady told my father that it's it's about the age of Aquarius. Um, that, that, that's kind of the crux of, of what humanity is, is facing here is, is a, it's a new age. And um, I just wanted to stress the importance of the idea no one really talks about this. It's very important. We are approaching a new astrological age, and that will bring change. Think about this. Every time there's a full moon, you ask any police officer, they'll tell you crime is higher.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Now imagine the shift in those powers when we enter an entirely new zodiac for the rest of our lives, for the next millennia or two millennia or whatever. Just, just, just. I just want to leave it with that.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, not a lot of people are talking about it. The astrologers are, and... Uh, interestingly enough, Whitley Streber did mention that on the episode that we did together, and in his book on Jesus, A New Vision. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I guess I I'd like to know where things stand now as far as these visitations. Uh, I know you're not living with your mother and father any longer. Um, you guys are living uh, in another town in North Carolina, but. Is your father still being visited by these higher-ups?
2: Not lately. Um, gosh, that hasn't happened probably in, in the last few years. The, the actual visitations, like, physically. Uh, we do still communicate with people through, you know, cell phone, email, social media, what have you. We have had some individuals come to our property that were retired, um, affiliated, affiliated in some capacity with intelligence communities, but there hasn't been anything official in that regard, probably in, what would you say, Jenny, the last four years?
3: Yeah, I would agree. The
2: uh, last four years. And do you think yeah. that
0: that's because they've already gathered all the information that they needed or because there are no new types of experiences that your father's having? No,
2: there have been new experiences. Uh, in 2019, my father saw a full-fledged, nine to ten foot entity of pure orange and white light um, and he reported it to the CIA to some of our contacts there it's, mm-hmm. it's it's not the lack of experiences we I mean my dad has them definitely on a monthly basis usually weekly what I think is going on is they've probably gathered what they needed to gather
3: okay
2: mm-hmm. um and, and now had, go ahead
3: and now they know that they have access or they have some sort of direct contact to where they could just call up Chris Bledsoe and ask him a question, whereas before they might have felt like, oh, we need to go visit and make the impression and make sure we get into that network. So I feel like it's almost, you know, they're they're confident that they can just call Chris up and ask these questions or call the family.
2: Mm-hmm. You know what? Let me correct myself. I will okay. say about three years ago, um, someone did come to our property, uh, sent by somebody within the CIA Uh, who made death threats.
0: Oh. Sent by the CIA?
2: No, no, no. Sent by somebody in the CIA. I can't say that the entity known as the Central Intelligence Agency made this decision. I just, nobody could possibly know that because of the way it's compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. This individual who sent this individual is within the CIA and has a prominent role within the CIA. And if I said what the role is, people would be very uh, unhappy about that. But I won't, because I'm not trying to disparage anybody. And
0: and they they don't like you guys.
2: I don't think it's that they like us. I think it's it's, it's their job to uh, smear us, because that's, that's what they have to do. That's what they set out to do. That's why they had the documentary the way they did. That's why they sent this guy to make death threats. They've sent these people on Twitter to uh, mock me and privately harass me and make veiled death threats because there are people employed um, by certain elements who their career is to smear truthful experiences and scare them and traumatize them.
0: Well, that's a that's a pretty heavy accusation. Um, I don't know what to say about that. i That's very difficult to hear. It's true. And to consider. Um, Now, what is the fear of this being taken seriously? Uh, That it would disrupt society?
2: Yes, it would. It would disrupt society. If everyone knew what we were capable of with our consciousness, well, we would advance at an alarming rate to where you couldn't really filter that information anymore. If everybody knew they could remote view, well, we would start remote viewing the future. We would start remote viewing expanded technology. We would start remote viewing other dimensions. If everybody on Earth knew that they could do that and they put their heads together, our consciousness would explode to levels that we couldn't even imagine. And I don't think that these people – when I say these people, I'm not referencing the government or anyone in specific. When I'm saying these people, I'm saying – Anybody in any position of power who doesn't like the truth or in some way wants to help the, the so to speak, dark egregore. Um, I don't think these people necessarily want me and you and everyone else to expand our consciousness at a collective level.
0: I don't think that everybody wants to. I think that there's a very, this is just my opinion, uh, I'd like to add, I think that there's a very small percentage of the world's population that could give a shit, if I'm being blunt about this, they don't want to know, they don't want to advance their consciousness. And so these people who are trying to invoke fear, there's no need because nobody cares, a a, a very small percentage cares and will make an effort to, to expand and better themselves and reach for any kind of enlightenment.
2: But that's by design, because the Vatican has messed everybody's heads up to have this fearful approach to God and heaven and hell, and you know, we slaughter Jesus, yet we worship the image of his death, and, and you have to do the same, and you have to pretend every week to eat his flesh and drink his blood and just tell your priest that you need mercy. That's that's what has been shocking the collective consciousness for the last two thousand years. Where in reality, reincarnation is probably more realistic, like what's going on. Reincarnation coming here over and over until your spirit is is uh, lighter than it was before, more alive with radiant energy until it's ready to uh, not necessarily be trapped in this physical uh, simulation anymore.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, but Um, not only that, Ryan. um, I I almost think that it's by design as well. I mean, if you think about our pop culture, right? You're right. We're not focused on advancing um consciously we're thinking about what's going on on American Idol tonight we're right. thinking about what By am design. i what meetings do i have tomorrow at work you know it's like it's not even a thought to to go into wow like what kind of abilities might i have but why i
0: think it's because of what ryan was saying about the fear is that yeah. we're, we're afraid of those things and so it's yeah. a lot easier it's a lot easier to focus on what's happening on American Idol than yeah. it is to sit with yourself and look inside yourself and develop these things within you.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's distractions well, being tossed all over the place. That yeah.
0: anxiety. I look at that the the distractions as anxiety management systems that are mm-hmm. in place because of what I was referring to earlier about this intolerance that we have for ambiguity and not being able to accept the fact that we just don't know that it's a mystery. Mm -hmm. Um, And that makes people fearful. So that's why I say people don't give a shit because it's too difficult. It's a lot easier to turn on the television or get involved in sports. Do you know what I mean? So, 100%. But, but I think, Ryan, you're you're onto something when you say that that's by design.
2: It is by design. Uh, well, I believe that at least. I do believe that. It's neuro-linguistic programming.
0: And so the people who are pushing for government disclosure, I don't think that that's ever going to happen. I agree. I don't think – as a society, as a species, we can handle it. Look at how, for instance, just here in the United States, look at how we handled the pandemic. Yeah. I, I, I'm i still stunned by it all.
1: hmm
0: So no, I don't think we can handle the truth of the existence of anything yet.
2: I think we can. I think if we all turned off the TV for like a week and, and we didn't watch... You know, reality TV. Now, when I say reality TV, that means like sports, movies, uh, news, anything that's propagated by these media institutions. If we all just tuned out of that, I think we would realize that this world is beautiful and it's colorful and it's full of mystery. And even the blade of grass has a job just like, you know, my cat has a job. And that job is just kind of play around the apartment and it eats and drinks when it wants to. It has a consciousness like you and me, Mm -hmm. just like the blade of grass, just like the white blood cell. Everything has a consciousness. And I think if we just stopped plugging in to this mainstream media propagation, we would all realize that we're one, that we're one consciousness and that there's nothing truly to fear except for when we're told by watching the box that's conveniently in our living room.
0: Yeah, isn't it interesting that we all have one? Yeah, and 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 who's feeding it? We only have limited choices. Yeah, we might have hundreds of channels, but it's still a limitation. Who's it's creating, programming? Yeah, who's creating all of the things that we only have access to so much? It's and six so, companies.
2: Mm-hmm. It's actually six companies, and they create all this material and and all these, you know. Music that we listen to. Yeah, I was and- going
0: to say music. I, that's something yeah. that I noticed a lot when I was uh, somewhere and I just kept saying this music is absolutely intolerable. Do you hear these <laughs> lyrics? Do you hear yes, these lyrics? Yes,
3: unfortunately. Wow. They're getting yeah. simpler and simpler and just repetitive. <laughs> yeah. And the and the the it, it's kind of like droning on. It doesn't
0: feel good. It feels yeah. terrible. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. you can't escape it.
2: I was telling Jenny last night. Uh, she was singing this silly little song, and I said, "That sounds like a nursery rhyme." <laughs> and, and she said, "Well, you know, a lot of music in this day has the cadence of a nursery rhyme. Mm-hmm. It's so simple that it almost like breaks through your uh, barriers to where you're open to receiving the the the, the messages from. The, like rap music is very profane and vulgar, but it's yeah. simple. Almost like you're in a vulnerable state when you listen to it because of the repetition." You know, but anyway, hmm. maybe I'm crazy there.
0: No, <laughs> I, I I'm with you, and I th- that would open up a whole other discussion. So we'll save that for another time. But um, <laughs> in, in in coming to a conclusion here as we wrap up, uh, is there anything else that we haven't covered?
2: I think as far as topics go, we've pretty much um. It, And as much as we could in the hour or whatever we've been on air, we've probably touched everything at a minimal level. Um, Any further explanation would be, you know, if you want to do a part two, I'd I'd be down for that. That
0: would be great. Yeah, we've actually been recording for an hour and 43 minutes. Oh, wow. So we've been going for a while here. And uh, this was a, a great talk to give people the basics on... This story. There's obviously a lot more to it than we were able to cover tonight. Uh, So, there will be a lot of links in the show notes if anyone's interested in more information on the things that uh, Ryan and Jennifer have brought up tonight. So, Ryan, you and I uh, follow each other on Twitter, and now Jennifer, you too. So, would you
3: both give out your Twitter names?
2: sure uh you want to go first jenny
3: yeah so you can find me um on twitter at yeah jennifer so it's just y-e-a-h-j-e-n-n-n-i-f-e-r and my name is jennifer mabes on on twitter great
2: and mine is just ryan d bledsoe
0: and you're also on Facebook and Instagram, and that's where I saw a lot of your photos. And you guys share photos, and I appreciate that um, because this this is important. And yeah. I would highly encourage everyone to have a look and, and see what you think and be open to it.
2: Well, the thing about photos, if you don't mind me saying this real quick, Please. is – you know, there's there's so many people out there who have seen our photos and then they've seen photos of people like Billy Meyer and things in the past that supposedly are hoaxed or faked or whatever. And they probably are. But I just want people to keep in mind that my father is a s- pushing he, he'll be 60 this year. He's a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not like an intelligence. He's not like a professional photographer. And, and this man, my father, he walks outside he sees this phenomenon in the yard, he takes a photo, he puts it on the internet, and then what you see is what he captured. And I just want people to keep that in mind when they see these photos.
0: So they're undoctored, untouched, are undoctored. If, no if they're doctored
2: at all, they're zoomed in and maybe cropped. Maybe he had to zoom in a little bit to see the orb. Uh, on some of them, he might brighten it up a little bit to, to see what it looks like. But you know, it's, it's it's not like we're sitting here just like running some... Scheme to Photoshop fifteen thousand photos on our computer and share like a hundred of them on the internet, you know. Um, and I, I do want people to realize that the photos that are going online, um, what you see is what we're capturing. They're raw. Yeah, unless he had to brighten it up a little bit because it's in pitch black. But um, you know, you know, you can do that on an iPhone. So.
3: And and another thing is that. Sometimes people will say, Oh man, it you know, looks like it was filmed with a potato or or whatever. But it's also important to keep in mind that he doesn't have some multi thousand dollar camera, you know, talking about Chris Sr. here. He doesn't have it. He doesn't have it around his neck at all times to like, oh I walked out my door, I saw it. He walks out the door sometimes. He might see something and think, Oh man, I, I've got my iPhone on me, so I'll I'll use my iPhone. But it's never some sort of session where he would sit outside with a really high definition camera and film the sky so i think that's kind of what a lot of them are blurry
2: a lot of them are blurry they're 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 raw
1: yeah
3: very
2: much if we were faking this stuff it would look hd (laughs) and and i just want to say that because there's lots of conspiracy theories um uh, on the internet about how we're hoaxing these photos and it's like we don't have time for that and I i just wanted to just let people understand that what they see is what we're capturing. It's blurry. Well, if, if you don't like blurry photos, then just don't look, you know, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to access the contact in the desert website, uh, because your father, it's not loading for some reason. Strange. Your father will be speaking. It is a virtual conference. Oh yeah. Year.
2: Forgot about that. Um, I was,
0: trying to get to his page on this website so that I could read what the topic of his talk was going to be, um, but now it is not loading. Um, but anyway, Contact in the Desert, I did attend it, and actually it's what I mentioned about when I saw the orbs in 2016. It is no longer held at Joshua Tree, unfortunately, and it was canceled last year. This year it is going to be held virtually, So the tickets are on sale now. If you go to contactinthedesert.com, uh, hopefully it'll load for you. It's, uh, not loading for me, but do you know what your father is going to be speaking about?
2: I don't, uh, you know, because I live two hours away and we both have our daily lives, but I will say he's already pre-recorded it. I do remember that now that we talk about it. I just, I didn't really ask what it's about.
0: Okay. Um, Well, I will provide a link in the show notes to uh, this would be Christopher Bledsoe, uh, his lecture, and uh, I think that's about it. If
3: uh, you two didn't have anything else, should we wrap up? I just wanted to say thank you so much for welcoming me on the show today because this is sort of my premiere into the interview space. So thank you very much. <laughs>
0: well, you are a natural, and I appreciate you uh, wanting to be part of this episode. I feel honored. So thank you so much. And yeah. I am going to read the outro. If you'll just stay with me for another couple minutes. Yeah. Sure. Please visit the website. Speaking of Jung, that's J U N G for more information on everything that was discussed in this episode. There you will also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to stream or to download for free. This episode is also available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And it will be available later in the week on our YouTube channel, Jungi and Laura. You can also listen to this episode on your Amazon Echo device, Simply by saying, Alexa, play speaking of Jung on Apple Podcasts. Just be sure to pronounce Jung with a hard J. I'm Laura London, and you've been listening to a very special quarantine edition of Speaking of Jung. (laughs)
1: Or, (laughs) or or or